You could probably turn the house down, TJ. It's a little, for me, a little loud. All right. Josiah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started, and uh, uh, we'll open up with some prayer. And so if anybody has a prayer request or a praise they want to share, uh, we'll open with that, and then we'll get into our devotion for tonight. So does anyone have a prayer request or a praise they want to share? A prayer request or a praise? Prayer request or a praise? Obviously, be praying for our community. Um, lots of uh, COVID cases have gone up and all those kind of things, and schools are affected and workplaces and all of that. So let's be praying for, um, honestly, I've been praying for a quick end to all this, but uh, just for healing for those that are battling with COVID. Um, I talked to a woman this morning who uh, she works in her area of work. There was like six different people that were uh, being affected by COVID and a couple of them pretty seriously. And so as far as unsure what's going to happen next, but let's just be praying for that in our community, praying for um, obviously healing, but also comfort to those that are enduring all of this. It's a lot to go through. Um, and so be praying for them. Is there anyone else has a prayer request before we open in prayer? All right. That's really all I was thinking about today. So we can go and open in prayer. And just kind of spend some time before the Lord before we get into the word. All right, let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. Lord, we do thank you for an opportunity to just gather together in this place and to worship you. Uh, Father, I think about this morning, uh, just getting to worship you and praise you, to get into your word and to just be encouraged by it, to understand what it means, even in a small sense, to love like you is such a challenge, Lord, to our understanding, but also a little great encouragement that you can do that through us, that you can use us as conduits of your grace and love to share the gospel with someone in, the, in our lives this week and to realize that the greatest way that, that you loved us was to forgive sinners and to forgive us of our sin. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be able to forgive others in a way that would mirror how you forgave us. And so, Lord, in all those things, we ask that you would do a great work. Father, we pray for uh, this community. Although we know that our state specifically, but also this local community has been really affected by um, COVID cases, Lord, people that have been struggling as far as in their health with that and uh, some that have been uh, hit very, very hard by this. And Lord, I pray for, for them for healing, but also pray for the loved ones involved, uh, Lord, that have to go through all of this right now. I pray, Lord, that you would bring an end to this disease, that you would uh, bring a healing to those that are battling with it, Lord. Um, bring an ease and a comfort to those that are walking through this journey, Lord, of fear, or that are fearful, rather, Lord, of what's going on around them. And uh, Lord, just I pray that we would know that no matter what our circumstances look like, uh, that you can give us the peace and the joy that only comes through Christ. And so I pray that you would do a great work there. Father, I pray that you'd open up your word to us. Help us to know more of what you'd have for us tonight. And uh, Lord, uh, for uh, the week ahead, um, I pray that we would take opportunity to just really enjoy your presence and to just lift you up. Father, we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, open up to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 
And so as you're turning to Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to be just in a couple of verses in chapter 4. Um, but I, I got to kind of share the, the whole motivation for the talk tonight, um, kind of what was on my mind, and then how it led kind of down how my mind works from one thing to another, to another, to a message tonight. Um, I was driving on 53, obviously. I do that every day, multiple times in a day. And uh, I was going about 60 down 53, which if you've ever driven on 53, that's obviously not nearly fast enough for some people. And uh, as I was going down, um, I think I was either going to Marlette for lunch or something like that, um, a vehicle uh, not only passed me, but passed the vehicle and then the truck in front of me. And so it was me, a vehicle, a truck, and this guy decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to just pass everybody, and actually whipped back to the right just before the vehicle coming the other way almost clipped him. And as I saw that happen, and as I was thinking through that moment, I had two reactions. One wasn't a very, the first one rather wasn't a very pastoral reaction. I didn't think very good things. Um, and it wasn't anything necessarily bad, like I hope that person wrecks. It was just more like, where's the police officer and why are they getting away with that? And that's, that's so stinks that they're just going to be able to drive as fast as they want. I go three miles over and I'm going to get a ticket. You know, all those things that run through your mind. And then the next thought I had was um, kind of what led to me wanting to speak on this tonight. What was that person in such a hurry to do that they would risk their lives and the lives of other people on the road to get to wherever they're going just a few minutes faster if they would have just been patient and waited. The irony of this is just a few miles ahead, maybe two miles ahead or a little more, there's a passing lane <laughs> where this person could have just waited and passed fine and, been, and done so safely. Um, and so to me, I was thinking, what's this guy's hurry or this person's hurry? Uh, I was reminded of an episode of the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, I told somebody, this is the other part of this, how my mind works as I was driving down the road. And this episode came into my mind. And that's actually the name of the show. Um, I believe it's called What's, What's the Hurry? And it's this idea that this preacher comes to Mayberry and preaches this sermon about what's the hurry. That sometimes we get so caught up in life, we're just going with the fast pace of life, that we don't really slow down and enjoy the moments of life. And if you've seen the episode, they all start talking about different things that they remember doing when they were younger. And it leads to the whole town of Mayberry trying to rush around to get this thing done, completely just missing the point of the message in the sermon and just stopping and enjoying life. And so when he talked about the fast pace of life, and remember this show, uh, this would have been in the early 60s that this came out. And he's talking about everything's just go, 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 go. And I was thinking if that person could have been could have fast-forwarded to today and saw the speed of life that we live. Everything is instant. Everything is now. Everything is go, go, go. I want my food. I want it hot. I want it good. I want it fresh, and it better be now. And if i got to wait any time, I'm gone. I mean, that's the whole, kind of the whole main reason for fast food is I don't even want to get out of the car. Like, I just want to stay in my car, drive around. And if you've ever done this, you've sat at a drive through window for more than just a couple minutes, you think to yourself, this isn't fast food. This isn't very fast. i got to go. i got things to do. And so in today's age, there's a lot that pulls at us to hurry up to go, to hurry up and go. But I want to kind of encourage all of us to just kind of slow down, to kind of just take some time to enjoy life and to enjoy the everyday moments of life and actually do all of that for his glory. Uh, I don't know why it is we feel like we got to go, 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 and we miss out on the little things that actually glorify God, that we actually can enjoy his presence in our lives. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, we're going to look at this passage, and then kind of break it apart just a little bit. Ecclesiastes 4.4. 4. Again, I considered all travail and every right work, 
that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. So obviously Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a lot of kind of content like this, a lot of kind of poetic feel to the writing. But I think there's so much truth here. And I love that question there. Who am I laboring for? Why am I working so hard? Why am I doing all of this? Solomon writes a warning to us in this passage that we must guard against striving after the wind, chasing after these things that just never seem to fulfill us, never seem to satisfy us. We got to fill both hands and make sure we're getting all that we can and, and keep acquiring and keep acquiring. The reality is that when we can learn to slow down and rest, we will have more joy. Now, I'm not saying we don't have obligations. I'm not saying we don't work. I'm not saying we just sit on our hands. But I think what Solomon is pointing out here is that, man, we rush after these things and we fill our lives with all these things. And we think that by doing this, we're actually more successful, that we'll have more. But I love what he says in that passage. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. It's better to have one handful of quietness than two handfuls of hard work, labor that leads to very negative outcomes. So I want to kind of walk through this tonight. And tonight I know it's more of like a sermon than it is normally on a Sunday night where we kind of have more interaction and we'll open it up in just a little bit for any kind of questions. But I want to encourage all of us, those that are here, or those listening online, to think about how God can cause us to slow down. So how do we slow down? And if you're taking notes, awesome. If you don't you're not taking notes and you want to get the notes, I can send them to you. Just ask and I'll be more than happy to do that. So how do I slow down? The first thing I want to do, and we're going to have somebody read some verses, is we need to learn contentments. We need to learn contentment. So I need two readers, Philippians 4.11. If somebody can turn there and read Philippians 4.11 for us. And then 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. So Philippians 4.11, if I can get a volunteer to read that for us. Once somebody's there. Philippians 4.11. Who wants to read? Anyone got it? Oh, Sandra. Okay. And then 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Someone wants to read that for us. Okay. So Sandra, uh, Philippians 4.11 and then uh, 1 Timothy 4. Or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Go ahead, Sandra. Mm hmm Okay, and then 1 Timothy. Okay, so Paul's writing in Philippians 4.11 about himself, right? He's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's saying, I've learned this, that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. 
I've, I've had to learn this over time, I believe is what he's really saying. And then he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, a young preacher, and he's writing an encouragement to him. That's the whole point of 1 Timothy is an encouraging letter. And he's communicating to Timothy, listen, I've learned this, but then he is encouraging Timothy to learn this and to be blessed by this. And what does Paul tell Timothy are required for contentment? In 1 Timothy 6, what did he say? If you have these things, you can be content. Okay, food and clothing. How much food? Doesn't, it doesn't say. We assume today, right? Food for today. And what kind of clothing? Like how new? Name brand, right? Are we talking Salvation Armory? Or are we talking like, I don't know, a fancy store that I don't even know of because I don't shop there, okay? Okay, a covering, right? A covering, okay? It's some kind of a covering. So here, Paul is trying to encourage the believers, namely Timothy, but also us, that we can be content. And I think one of the greatest things that keep us from being content are some, some myths that we hear in our culture today. Okay, And I want to look at three myths that we hear today in our culture today that will keep us from being content. The first one is that if I have more, I'll be more happy. If I have more, I'll be happier. Right? If I just had more. Another myth we hear is doing more will make me worthy. The more that I do, the more worthy I become. The higher a position I become, the more envied really is what we're saying. So if I do more, I'm happier. If I do more, I'm more worthy. And then also, this life is a competition. Those three myths, if we buy into any one of those or any of those, we will lose contentment if we really believe those things are true. If you believe life is a competition with your neighbor, you're not going to serve and love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to try to get ahead of your neighbor. Now, this is why people look at their neighbor and envy what they have or don't think it's right that they have it and I don't. This is why people do this at work. Why did so-and-so get a raise? I work harder than them because life to them is a competition. If I do more, I'll be happier. If I have more, I'm more worthy. Paul made it clear in his own life and as an encouragement to Timothy that because of Christ, we can learn to be content no matter what our circumstance. Now, again, this doesn't mean we don't set goals. This doesn't mean that we don't strive to, to, to be better in certain areas or to grow in a certain area. Of course, we can do those things. But it's saying, God, I'm going to put you as number one. I want to strive to know you more. And then whatever happens, I'm going to be happy with. I'm going to be content with whether the dream comes true or doesn't come true. I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to keep my eyes on you. Whether other people see me as worthy or not, it's irrelevant. I don't care. I'm focused on you. You see me as worthy. You've already accepted me. So the first thing I think we can do to learn to slow down is learn contentment. Learn contentment. But that's hard in this day and age. What does advertising strive us to, to want? Everything. Namely, what you don't have. And you, yeah, and, and you need it now. You know, one of the wisest things I ever learned in my own personal finances and being in ministry, there's not a lot of finance to go around. So I've not had a lot of opportunity to put this to practice. But one of the things I learned early on, I think it was through Crown Financial, was the phrase delayed gratification. And learning that when we were only married for a couple of years helped us tremendously to realize, wait, yeah, we do want that. We'd like to have that one day, but we don't need it now. But you know what our culture teaches? You need it. You better get it. And you need it now. This is why we are massively in debt as a nation. 
Um, and credit card companies know that. They love that. Advertisers know that. Car companies know that. Um, people that make your phones know that. That's why every year there's another one that looks, man, just like the last one. But apparently, no, no, no. We're telling you it's way better and you need this one, right? Which was awfully similar to the one before that. But no, this is way better than that one two phones ago. You need this. And it's just, it's just pushed and pushed and pushed. But contentment is realizing I don't need those things to be happy and to be joyful. So learning contentment is one way to slow down. When I learn contentment, I will learn to slow down. Another thing that we can do to learn to slow down is to listen before speaking. Listen before speaking. Now, this may not seem connected. This may seem like an off-the-wall comment. But we have become so hurried that we can tell in conversations with others. We've become so hurried as a, as a culture and as a society, we can actually tell this in conversations with others. We interrupt people and don't want to listen so we can get on to the next thing. If you don't believe that, just watch anything on media. Watch any news show you want. It's constantly like, okay, I don't want to listen to you. I want to say what I want to say and get my point out so I can move on. Proverbs 29.20 says this. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? In other words, a man who speaks before thinking. Proverbs 29.20 says, There is more hope for a fool than for him. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? I don't think about what I say. I just say it. I just want to get on to the next thing. The truth is, if we will slow down and listen before speaking, we'll see more joy, more fruit in our conversations. But you've been in conversations like this, right? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody that you know really didn't want to talk to you, was just doing it to be cordial and was rotten to get on to the next thing? Do you feel really listened to? <laughs> There's people in my life over the years that I knew they were doing that. I always joke like they were talking to me until somebody more important came in the room, you know? Like as they're talking to you, they're looking around like, uh-huh, there's got to be somebody else here to talk to that I can get more out of here, okay? But that's how we can feel sometimes. It's because they're just, let's just go, let's go, let's go. They're just hurried. But if you slow down and if you'll listen to people and don't just speak, but listen to them and hear them. And I'm telling you, there'll be much more fruit. We need to slow down not only in our desires for things, but in our conversations with people. Another one I want to encourage you with is take time to rest. Take time to rest. Uh, we see this principle all throughout scripture uh, as the Sabbath principle. Um, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 uh, we've been going through the book of Isaiah for a few weeks now on Wednesday night. But in that passage, you can jot it down for notes. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. Uh, we see this idea of the Sabbath principle. Somebody tell me, what's the, what's the Sabbath in reference to? What's, what's Sabbath? Okay, a day of rest. Yep. Yep, six days of creation. On the seventh day, he rested. And he set in motion this practice of doing that. So Old Testament, right, they were supposed to rest on the seventh day. Now we know that by the time the New Testament comes around, they added a bunch of stuff to that, okay, to keep people from doing work. They would add all these different things. But this principle is what I want to talk about. I'm not saying a literal, I rest on Sabbath from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, okay? I'm going to take a whole day, not, just not even get off the couch, okay? Now that would be really good in like the fall Right, flip on game after game after game, just ah, oh, veg. Okay, that'd be great. But that's not exactly what we're saying. We're saying there's a principle here of resting, taking time to rest. Our culture loves that idea, but what they consider resting 
And what you need to rest and relax by spending tons of money going on these elaborate vacations, right? Going to all these places. You can't rest if you're expecting to earn all that stuff. You guys know where I'm going with this? I have to work super, super hard, 40 hours a week, or not 40, but 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, do all of this, because 40 hours a week isn't going to get it there. But if I do that for five or 10 years, then I'll have all this money to then go and rest at these beautiful travel spots. And, oh, man, I can go over here. and That's great. That's fine. But what did you give up for that two weeks of rest and vacation? You gave up a lot of years, a lot of hours. So what I'm talking about is not these elaborate vacation spots, although that's fine. I'm talking about just the practice and the habit of taking time to rest. Um, If you can jot it down, if you'd like, as I was kind of looking through some things, I came across a a resource that laid these things out, and I thought it was really well put together. Uh, A couple of the things that we can do to rest is to rest our bodies. This is where we get away, relax, right? It's okay. It could be at home. Just disconnect. Um, it's okay to go on vacation, those kind of things, but maybe it's at home, maybe it's somewhere else. We just, we just let our bodies rest. So we take time to just kind of calm ourselves down. Here's the reality. The world will go on. If you choose to take an afternoon and just kind of rest and take it easy, the world's going to keep going. The whole world's not going to end because you decided to take a couple hours off. So we rest our bodies. We recharge our emotions. We do this through relationships. Right? We, we disconnect from the fast pace and we get face-to-face with someone. We build a relationship or we build relationships and we recharge our emotions by just taking time to rest and reconnect with people. Right? We disconnect from the fast pace. Another way that we put this into practice is we refocus our heart and spirit. We refocus our heart and spirit in worship primarily. The key is we don't take a break from God. In the Sabbath principle, as we're taking time to rest, we can disconnect from the fast pace. We can disconnect from work, from from yard work, from all those things, right? And again, I'm not saying we do this every day. We have uh, obligations, responsibilities, but we take time weekly to disconnect and slow down. But the key we have to understand in the Sabbath principle, we never disconnect from God. You might say, well, what are you talking about? If I'm taking a nap, I'm not connecting with God. But if you're doing that as an act of worship because you know that's what he's asked you to do to rest, you are connecting with him in a sense. When you're building those relationships and you're disconnecting from the vast space, you're doing it in worship of him. It's, it's, he's on our minds all the time. We're constantly thinking, God, this is for you. God, this is for you. By the way, we can do this in our work too, right? It's how we should work. When we're at work or we're doing things around the house, it's all for him. God made it clear from the beginning, beginning of Genesis, that we were designed to work, that we were actually designed to work. Work is not a cause or a curse of the fall, right? We were called to work before the fall, but we also need to rest. The key is God is our creator and he knows what we need. When we take time to rest, we will actually get more done and have more joy. We will take time to rest. We'll get more done. People think, but if I work seven days a week, and go crazy for those seven days, I'll get more done if I do it in, than if I do it in six. It's not true. Studies have shown that if you do that too many times for too long, you'll actually burn out and get less done down the road. There's no longevity to that. That's the idea there. And so we need to take time to rest. Another point I'd like to kind of point out tonight as we think through these things is to prayerfully consider what needs to go. To prayerfully consider what needs to go. This is the idea of taking a look at what it is that is pulling at your time. Some are responsibilities that cannot be changed. 
Others are ministry commitments that you desire. However, there may be some things that can be removed to free up that time to rest. What can I get rid of? What can I move around? What can I alleviate from this schedule? Unfortunately, because because we have bought into the myths we talked about earlier, we tend to react to our busyness by cutting out time with the Lord individually or with the church. We'll say, man, I'm just so busy and I can't, you know what? Church has got to go. Devotional life's got to go. Prayer time's got to go because I just don't have time for that. And what we do is we've short-circuited the process and we've completely missed the whole point of the rest, which is to recharge and connect with him. And then we still get burned out and we still don't feel like we're getting anything done. Because, yeah, we, we're resting physically, we're laying around, we're taking that day to rest, and we're building a relationship with family, and that's great. But we've disconnected from the power source, and we're not going to see that same fruit that we would if we would connect with him. And so we decide that since I don't have to go to church, like I have to go to work, I can skip church to rest and just worry about it later. This isn't our church culture. This is not just culture. This is church culture. I can't skip work. I'll get penalized for that. For the students there, I can't skip school. I'll get penalized for that. But I can skip church because no one's going to penalize me for that. And what happens is you're right. You can't skip work. But those aren't the only things pulling at your time. And so I just encourage all of us to step back and look at our days, our weeks, and our months and go, okay, what are the responsibilities I can't change? What are the obligations I can't change? What are the things that I'm committed to in my ministry or through church that I want to be a part of? And then God, okay, now give me wisdom and how to create time to rest here. Now, for some people, this happens at church. Sometimes you get too invested in ministries and you're trying to do every ministry. That's not wise either. So maybe you say, okay, I can't do this ministry anymore, but I'm going to focus really on this one and put my all into this. And then I just got to say no to these ones. But what usually happens is it's just, I cut off everything for church because, well, I don't have to go. So just pray about that as we consider what needs to go. One more, and then I'll open it up for any kind of conversation or discussion that people may have. So be thinking about that. So we, we talk about what needs to go. What, what can I get rid of? Prayerfully consider that. Take time to rest. Listen before speaking and learn contentment. All really easy things, right? We can all do this so easily. The last one I would encourage as we talk about how to slow down and how to really enjoy these moments is to trust in the Lord. To me, this is, this is key. Ultimately, we can rest in this life when we rest in Christ. We can rest in this life when we rest in Christ. We know that he is God. We know that he is God. We don't have to fear that we won't get it all done. We do what we can do, and we trust him with all of it. Uh, one more passage I want to look at is Psalm 46.10. Psalm 46.10. If somebody wants to turn there or scroll there and read that for us. Psalm 46.10. Someone got it? Sandra, you got it? Okay. Oh, Terry's got it. Go ahead, Terry. You got it. If you're going to be in the front row, you got to let me know. Come on. No, go ahead, Terry. Okay, now we always emphasize that first part, be still and know that I am God, which is a beautiful verse. But it goes on to say, I will be exalted. God is going to be exalted in the world. And so why can I be still and know that he is God? Because no matter what's going on around me, he's still in control. And he is going to get his praise. 
His will is going to be accomplished. And not just in the church, but in the world. And so I don't have to fret and fear and try to make it all happen. I can just be still and know that he is God. The word or the the phrase there, be still. It's an interesting study into that wording and that phrasing. Uh, It means to sink or relax. So to be still in Psalm 4610 literally translates to be, to sink or to relax, which I love that idea that it's this idea of kind of going into myself and relaxing back, not having to force it all to happen. The people of God had to trust in God to deliver them. Their efforts could not provide an answer. They had to rest in him and wait. The New American Standard uh, translation uses the phrase in 4610 of Psalms, Cease striving. Cease striving. Uh, and it could be similar to the idea found in 1 Samuel fifteen sixteen, when Samuel said to Saul, wait and listen to what the Lord was going to tell him. The word wait in 1 Samuel fifteen sixteen is similar to that of cease, to cease striving or to forty six ten to be still. So I love that connection there. It means I'm just going to wait. I want to hear what God is going to say. I'm going to cease this striving and trying to get it done. I'm going to relax, right? I'm going to, I can't even say this, but I'm going to sink into him. I'm going to get connected deeper with him. I'm going to hear what he has to say for me because I know he is in control. When circumstances seem chaotic and we are tempted to take control, we must stop and be still and know that he is in control. This is not inactivity or just sitting on our hands. This is resting in the peace that he gives and doing what he can and leaving the rest, doing what we can and leaving the rest to him. So to trust in the Lord and this idea of slowing down, it's Lord, you know what? I can't fix everything. I can't get it all done. Some personalities and some people struggle with this. It's like I got to go, 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 go. But I'm telling you, if you will not take time to slow down and just be still before him, you will find yourself stressed out, tired, and just whooped at the end of a week. But the reality is you could rest on multiple days. You can take time to rest and relax and just take it easy. But if we disconnect from him, that rest will be fruitless. It might help our bodies to feel better. It might help us to feel a little more at ease. But it'll be empty from what it really could be. And so again, we take time to slow down. We don't need to hurry through these moments. And I'm telling you guys, I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone else. I get in that mood or that habit where it's like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And I miss those moments. This is not saying we don't have opportunity to uh, fulfill obligations and responsibilities. Some days will just be busy days. Some seasons will just be busy seasons. And we're going to feel like we're just running at the end of our rope. But if we don't take time to acknowledge that and then stop and plan rest. I know it sounds funny to say that we have to plan time to rest. But again, this doesn't mean we cut out everything with church and go, well, I just, you know, Sunday, Sunday mornings are my time to rest. Well, I mean, it kind of doesn't really fit, right, with what we're talking about in the bigger picture. But that's usually what happens. And so we need to pray through all of this and consider what God would be leading us in. So my prayer coming into tonight was to encourage all of us to slow down and enjoy this life we have been given. To guard ourselves against the myths and pressures of, that rob us of our joy in Christ. So it's a super simple message, I know. Super simple challenge. But as I was thinking this week, just driving down that road and then watching this individual just in such a hurry to get wherever he was going or she was going. But really at the end of the day, man, so you got there five minutes earlier. Did it really gain you anything? 
It's just one of those things that to slow down and go, man, God, help me to enjoy every moment of this life. Not to get so frustrated with things that just throw my schedule off whack, out of, out of whack for a little bit. But to just go, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this, in this kind of detour or this changing of this moment. And so I want to open it up. If anybody has any comments, questions, or thoughts that you would like to share along these lines, maybe some way that God has helped you in this to realize this or to kind of come to an understanding of this, um, I'd love to just open it up for a few minutes before we... I know we're kind of early yet, but I knew it was going to be kind of a shorter message. But that anyone wants to share anything at all that God has helped them to understand this in their own lives, or maybe you are currently going through this and God has given you wisdom in this. Anyone at all? Comments or thoughts on that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the idea of ceasing is actually the action we're taking, which is crazy. We think, no, I got to make it work. It's like, no, just, just take your hands off of it. Let God take care of it, which is still an action. We're still making a choice to do something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's because we think we have more control than we really do, which is that's the other part of it we don't like. If I take my hands off of it and God fixes it, then that shows me he was the only one that could. Or even if he doesn't fix it, but he does something out of it. Okay, God, then you're really the one in control. And that's why I love in that verse in Psalms 46.10, he's writing to a people that are oppressed and feeling the weight of attack and all those things. And he says, hey, listen, you can be still because I will be exalted. Yeah, the nations are rising up against you, whether it's the Assyrians or the, the Babylonians. It looks like there's no hope, but I will be exalted. So you can trust in that. Be still, even though the circumstances are going crazy. And I don't know if there's a better thought or verse for our culture today, for Christians today. I think a lot of believers, myself included at times, we need to just go, no, I'm not going to give in to that. No, I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm not going to give in to the chaos just because everybody else seems to be falling into that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because he's going to be exalted and, and we'll be fine. So any other thoughts on that idea of slowing down or these different points we talked about tonight? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're the best, yeah. 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 So it's just 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, if when you read Ecclesiastes, I think the point is to find the joy of the Lord in, in all things. And I think that's where I think as a culture we've, we've disconnected something where it's like, you know, it's either we make it sacred and secular. I get all my Jesus at church and then I go do what I want during the week and we don't acknowledge that he's in those things. Or we go so heavy into the pleasures of this world and we think that's what it's all about, but we're not acknowledging him. So, yeah, we, we feel good. We get all the pleasure, but we're not getting that spiritual fruit. And so I feel like when we disconnect those two things, we're missing out, not only as a culture, but as followers of Christ. And it's like, you know, we enjoy the little things, but we don't really enjoy them as we could because we're not acknowledging he's the God over those things. You know, family time, great family time. But if you acknowledge Jesus is the one that's giving you that family, there's more to it than just let's have some family time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's amazing to me that phrase, that phrase in the last, like, you know, since I've been a senior pastor, I've heard that phrase more. And I've talked to pastors who are older who have been in ministry a long time. They said that was something they would, they never heard that phrase in ministry, you know, years ago. You never heard somebody say, I'm burned out. It's as though the last 20, 20 so years, it's like more and more people, adults are like, I'm just burned out. I'm just burned out. And it could be because we're just doing too much and we're doing too much. Yeah. <laughs> take on too much ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we don't want them to suffer right. and the children to miss out on it because they need to be taught. Right. But yet, the more we pile on ourselves, yeah. the less effective we get. I know myself when I take it on so much, then the, I, I lose the joy of it. Yeah. And it's, I start feeling yeah, and that's where we have to look at it and go, okay, is this, exactly, right, or is this a season that I'm just going to be given to this, and then at the end of the season, I need to just kind of, okay, Lord, step back, um, but that's where I was saying, I think in ministry especially, we need to say um, yes to the things that God has called us to, and be willing to say no to the things that we know he's not called us to. But I think in our church culture, for a majority of it, it's either yes to everything or no to everything. It seems like people either commit to everything because, well, that's just what a good Christian does. Or they go, ah, you know, I don't have time for that. I'm just so busy at work. And I need my rest and so and family time and all these things in our culture today. And so instead of saying, okay, I'm not going to say yes to everything, but I'm not going to disconnect from what God has called me to altogether. And so God, give me wisdom in what to say yes to and what to say no to. But you're right. I think the more we commit to try to do everything, we actually end up doing nothing well. You know, we don't do it as well as we could anyway. For a season. Yeah, because if I'm teaching kids and I've done it in a way that now I'm bitter or I'm resentful, I'm, I'm not doing that as well as I could. Right. 
my heart, yep, yeah, exactly, my heart's not right. So, so, but if we step back and go, okay, I need to take, take a minute here to, to rest and recoup and whatever, then God can give us wisdom in that too and what we need to do, for sure. Renee. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's great. We know we're accepted and worthy in Christ. And it's, we, I think it goes back to why am I even doing this thing, this ministry, this serving? If it's to try to gain his approval, I'm, I'm wrong. If it's to gain the approval of others, I'm wrong. But if I'm doing it out of an overflow of my relationship with Christ because he's loved me so much, all that he's given me, and I'm doing this as a response to him, to honor and glorify him, that's where I find the joy comes. Because now it's whether somebody says, hey, great job, or they don't even acknowledge I'm doing it, it doesn't change my heart about it. And I think sometimes when we don't, not that we can't say thank you to people who do good job. I mean, we can encourage them. But I think when people will quit a ministry because I'm not thanked enough, or nobody acknowledged I was even doing it, or I haven't heard one, hey, great job on that. Humanly, we want those things, and there's nothing wrong with hearing those things. But if I'm doing it honestly and fully for the Lord, and we know he's going to reward us, and we know he sees it, we know he's pleased with it, then I don't need a human being to say, great sermon today. Is it good to hear that? Sure. But it's, I don't need that when I, my true goal is I'm lifting him up, and that's all that really matters. But again, when we don't understand our identity and worthiness in Christ, we get confused on that. And we start trying to do it so other people will either give us approval or acceptance or it makes us feel good or, or whatever other things might come out of that, which we still, the feeling good part is good. There's nothing wrong with that. I feel good doing things for the Lord, but that's not our end game is what I'm getting at. And so I agree with hundred percent. Sandra. Mm-hmm. And just uh, having that break, then my focus gets a little different. I'm like, okay, this wasn't, it wasn't, I need to quit everything. It was, I just needed a break. Mm-hmm. I just needed a rest. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, okay, well, in this area, it really wasn't that. It was, I just needed, you know, I just needed a break. I didn't need to quit that. Mm-hmm. I think that rest gives us some clarification and some focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, God's word, we see examples of people that were given times of rest and given times of reprieve and God served them and ministered to them. But but again, what we have to remember is what you just said. It's not, I don't quit everything forever. It's I take a rest from this thing for a season. And that's why I love when God's speaking to Elijah. And after those 40 days of ministering to him and serving him, he goes, okay, now you need to get up and go back. 
and he doesn't rebuke him for being out there. He doesn't condemn him. He serves him and ministers to him. But there comes a point where God goes, okay, I know the human heart and mind. And if you stay out here, you're never going to go back. Because this is pretty comfortable. This is pretty easy. Just laying around. I'm serving you. I'm taking care of you. And I'll do that for a season. But you need to realize when you go back, I'll be with you there. And I'll serve you there. And I've called you to something. You need to go back and get back doing what I've called you to do. And so, again, we tend to think, I quit. I'm done. I'm never going back to that. Or I'll take a break. And then we never go back as Elijah needed to. Um, and, And you guys have heard people say this. And I use this as an illustration. I've heard people tell me, well, we're just taking a break from church. And we're just taking a break for the summer or something like that. Um, I'm telling you, when I've had somebody tell me that, very rarely do I see them come back to church. Uh, because, again, it's not, we say take a break, but really we mean, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. But when we go into it and say, no, I'm really going to take a season. And, Lord, give me wisdom when the season ends to move back to where I need to be or move forward or whatever. If we're in tune with him through that season, we're going to be more attentive to what he leads us to. And so that's how we'll know, okay, Lord, this is just a rest I'm going back. And that season has now end. During that time when then when you come back and just have like this extra excitement of like mm-hmm. and a sense of purpose. Yeah. And just you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I compare it to and those you guys have all been here for, for this. Um when we asked if we had to leave the building um for what, September through January. Um I'll never forget when we were able to, they had the first Sunday, no, the first like two Sundays here, we were in the youth room next door and we, there was like a a plywood barricade kind of thing at the end of the hallway here where you couldn't get past it or whatever. You could see over it and into the lobby, but you can't, you can only go to the bathrooms. That was as far down as you can come. And then I remember when that got removed and we were back down this way, um, there was just this joy and excitement um, in the church. And I can't compare it to anything else. It was like, almost like it was like the building was just built. Like it was brand new again. Um, and it's because we had that time of just, man, we, we miss what we have and what we had. And so I compare it to that. It's like, there's this newness to it, even though it's not really new, but because you've been able to recharge and refocus, it feels new again. And there's new excitement to that. So absolutely. I love that idea. If there's nothing else, or if anyone else, I think that's fine, but we're going to go ahead and pray. Nothing else? Awesome. All right, let's pray, guys. Father, we do thank you for tonight's. And Lord, we do thank you for your patience with us. You know our, our minds and our hearts and our bodies in the flesh are weak. And Lord, you, you created us. You know what we can be and, and what you've designed us to be. But also, Lord, you know the effect that sin has had on us and the curse and our bodies that were designed to live forever now because of Sin and the fall over time break down. And Lord, you know that while we were designed to work and to be active and to produce for you and your glory, you also know, Lord, that we need rest. That we need time to recharge and refocus and reconnect not only with you, but even with others. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go into this week, that with the busyness of every single day, Lord, uh, as I've said multiple times tonight, um, there's things that will just come this week. We can't stop them. We can't tell our boss, I'm sorry, I need a half hour longer on lunch because I just need to re- refocus. And Lord, there's opportunity, or, I mean, obligations and responsibilities that come calling. And we have to do our best by your grace to give those 100% to be the best employer or employee or student that we can be. And I know it's tiring, Lord, but I pray you give us strength. But 
when we do have the time to rest, whether it's for a season where we step out of ministry or we step out of an opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to just kind of refocus and reconnect, I pray that we'd have wisdom about when that time comes to step back in. Maybe it's somebody that's doing multiple ministries that says, you know what, I need to, I'm not going to step out of everything, but I need to step out of this one or that one and really focus on this because the Lord's telling me uh, through his word that I'm not doing that well or as good as I could. Lord, in all these very unique things, very individual, uh, individualistic things, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and clarity. Give us an understanding of what this looks like, looks like because everyone in this room is different. We're at different stages of life, Lord. Some in this room have put in decades of serving and working and, and all that they've done. And now, Lord, they're able to rest and pass on to others what they've learned. And I thank you for that. For those that are younger in here, Lord, that are coming into their teen years and will be graduating soon and, and all those things, Lord, I pray to give them excitement for what's next. But I pray, Lord, help them to realize the discipline of rest. It's so important to slow down. And Lord, above all this, I pray that we would know who we are in Christ. That we don't need to, to do to be made worthy. We don't need to work and achieve and have human success or human accolades to be considered, considered worthy. Lord, you've already called us worthy. You've already called us valuable because you've created us and formed us and invited us into a relationship with you. And if we've received you as our Savior, we are sons and daughters of God. So I don't need someone else or something else to affirm that. I already have you in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would realize that the things we do, whether in the career that you've called us to, whether it's in school or just in life in general and ministry, I pray we realize it's all for you. But Lord, in so saying, may we enjoy every single moment. The little things, Lord, time with family, time with children and grandchildren. May we acknowledge it as a gift from you and glorify you in it. Father, in all these things, we pray for your wisdom to be given and your glory to go forth. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you Wednesday at 6.45.